Well, welcome back to SideQuest, and this is our fifth installment of Final Fantasy VII, and it sounds like we've just gotten both of our collaborators on here, and so it looks like the team is coming together nicely. Welcome, Mr. Wesker Chance, and welcome, Mr. Vincent Reese. Welcome, Mr. Alec. Uh, hey, guys. It's it's good to be talking to you guys again, especially on a special day when we celebrate the accomplishments of what people can do fighting together. And not to make light of it, but perhaps we can make a libation to Biggs and Wedge. Um, <laughs> see, see and Jesse. And Jesse, of course, not to be forgotten. Sexist. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, interesting. Perhaps you can make some comments on that and the fact that you're <laughs> headless from this, uh, this uh, particular plane. So why don't I lay out what it is we played for the listeners and then we can just dive in. So this mm. time around, we, we, we stopped, we saved right in front of the Shinra building. And we, had, we were presented with the option whether we wanted to dive right in or go up the stairs. And uh, you suggested that we should go up the stairs in order to bear out a point that I was talking about earlier. But So just in broad strokes, we, we had a stair scene. We got into the Shinra building. We got to see several of the upper level floors, including a library full of some very interesting books, which I'm sure you all paid very close attention to. We got to see a trail of blood, a capture. We met a president who we wanted to kill, who then got killed. Uh, we, <laughs> we heard evidence of this great force, uh, Sephiroth, who apparently if we can settle the score with him, we can also save the planet. Isn't that the ideal? That if you can settle your beef with the person who you have beef with, that will also stabilize the planet um, rather than destabilize it, which is probably actually what happens. We then had a series of boss fights where I'll humiliatingly have to admit to having been defeated not once but <laughs> twice. Jeez, oh, <laughs> dude. Uh, yeah, hubris, hubris. I'm still cleaning up my act, apparently, in certain aspects of my life, including my video game prowess, which has uh, either never de been developed or has been on the decline over the recent years. And then we finally make it out of Midgar. And so, uh, but... Before, before we dive in too much, I just wanted to give a quick congratulations to Mr. Wesley Shantz, who I know is just about to give his ultimate episode on another video game, uh, uh, Earthbound. Wes, did you want to say mm. something about that? Very quickly, I just came uh, out with your episode. Yeah, yeah. I announced on my episode that I released yesterday that... I'm going to try to do a live stream on Twitch, which Ooh, I've never you're going used to Twitch, before. dude? Uh, I'm going to I'm going to get Next on Twitch uh, and try to, I know. I know. Well, I'm only like a few years late on it, but you know, uh, better late than never. It's it's it looks pretty easy to use. Anyway, I'm going to try to figure it out and get that working by next or the the Sunday 2 weeks from now. So the 16th of September will be the the last episode that I'm planning at this point for the Earthbound series. And then I'll go on and do uh, the Golden Compass. That's the next thing I'm going to talk about on my podcast. That's so. great. The, That's the great. video game Golden Compass? <laughs> there is a video game of it, actually. Oddly enough, they made one when the movie came out, actually. That game's got to be so uh, bad. It's really, really interesting. I, I need to get a copy of it if possible. I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk mostly about the book, but, but yeah, adaptation... Mm -hmm. And the idea of taking a book and making a video game out of it is something I definitely want to think about a lot during this this read through of Golden Compass. It's it's so cool. That's yeah. very exciting. And actually, that makes me and Vince, I I do want to get your perspectives on Mandala because I know you wanted to share those. Yeah, today. I have like nine hundred theses, dude. Very good. 
Very good. <laughs> so you have caught up with Luther. It's good to hear about that. The listeners should know that uh, we recently had a very stream of consciousness uh, shared text message last night where basically Vince said that he had broken broken the genetic code of this uh, this Mandala idea and had a thesis and Wes then challenged him to get 93 more theses. It was actually two he came up with. And then Vince took it to the next level and decided to go tenfold more than that. So I guess he'll be a hyper-Protestant by the end of this. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> Gross. Uh, yeah, so, Fucking so Protestants. Thing, so I just wanted to mention something that I had forgotten would even be a part of my experience playing. But losing and having to go back to a save point and play back through what I've already played was the most infuriating feeling for several reasons. One, humiliation. How could I lose in this children's game? Oh my gosh. Two, did I just waste my time playing a video game? I have important things to do. I'm a master <laughs> teacher. Uh, uh, three, uh, oh my gosh, now I have to deal with the humiliation of not being as good at something as Vincent Reese. Yeah, dude, that- I haven't died <laughs> once. I'm already at like 50 hours in the game. And- uh, and it just underemployed hey, life, and it just makes me realize <laughs> you are you do have good values instilled by these games in terms of I just I didn't pay attention to the fact that I could reappoint my party members before important moments where strategy would be necessary where uh, the the uh, the player of the game has to pay attention when they can strategize and then strategize appropriately and that becomes more and more important aspect of the game but yeah, also. Uh, yeah. I just want to remind you that you still lost even after I gave you the total cheat <laughs> of using grenades on everything. Yeah, I know. I know. And I, I still haven't, I ignorantly have not updated my map and started using that, but I think now I might have to just in the, the just so that I don't destroy a controller and then I have to waste more time. Because of it. But that's, that's something that Wes and I were talking about um, on our hundredth episode that I thought was so interesting that, this is part of the game, the emotional connection you make to the narrative that I was actually frustrated, that my nervous system was activated, that I was having a real moment where I was thrust into unknown space and didn't know what I was going to do and had my emotions completely dysregulated. And I feel like that is a major part of how we connect to the game and a, a piece of connection that you don't get in other media. For example, a book. I want to move forward in a book, I read it. <laughs> I never lose time reading unless, you know, I'm one of those careless readers who has to read the same page five times because they can't focus their thoughts uh, or attention. And, um, but, but also the, the element of skill and attention pain is rewarded in this game. If you pay attention, you can get through in a smooth way uh, and you can get through quicker. And in fact, it's necessary in order to move forward in order to get to that story, you have to actually uh, engage in goal-pursuing behavior rather than simply reading. And that's something that I, I think I always felt about a video game and I felt compelling, but I, I didn't know how to articulate. What do you guys think about that? And have you lost it all or had any near losses or lost time? And I also wanted to mention how annoyingly far apart save points are. I <laughs> The uh, the thing that happened to me when I was in the Shinra building was, so I know Vince, you told us that you get an interesting dialogue by taking yeah. the stairs. So that made, that made me immediately want to test out what happens if you rush right in. <laughs> so, so I did that. Like as a kid, 
when I played the game as a kid, I always took the stairs and I never rushed in. So this time I rushed in first. I was first, the opposite. That's and so funny. You you get attacked by some weak weak soldiers and you like terrorize all the people in the foyer and they run away from you like a herd of sheep um, and run up the stairs eventually if you chase them the whole yeah. way around. And so then you go up the stairs, these broad stairs, and on the second floor there's like a little shop, and the shop is still operating despite the fact that there's like chaos and soldiers trying to yeah take uh, down these uh, terrorists. Fighters, thank you. <laughs> yeah yeah but so the shopkeeper uh won't let you open these that two treasure chests so in the back of the room and it's like what is this like are, are we like are we listening to this little shopkeeper right now so okay but <laughs> what happened to me was in that room there's these this this young couple looking at an advertisement mm -hmm. on tv for shinra line of um automobiles mm -hmm. and if you talk to them they eventually run away after saying like honey buy me that car um but anyway so if you look at the screen you you activate the uh the advertisement and it goes on and on and on um showing you like all these specs of these imaginary car vehicle things like steampunk style um and then in my game i don't know if this happens in every copy of the game or i just have one that's messed up um when you watch the thing and then you come out of it the game is frozen oh, oh dude yeah your game's cooked uh it's so um, good it's bad and and no matter what i did i couldn't get the screen to to pick up um the music kept playing though oh, the music from the advertisement that's so like, frustrating and and so you know it was like 10 minutes of gameplay or whatever so i just i did uh the softer set still worked um so there's still like inputs going mm -hmm. into the game it was weird um i don't really know i i found one forum online where someone said it happened to them but it seems like it's not a real widespread problem but anyway you know, there's like, like you say, Alex, there's like technical elements where you don't usually have a book that just like suddenly glitches out on you. Um, but I guess if it's an ebook, it could. Um, but yeah, so I just had to restart and then I went up the stairs. But you do get the same, almost the same um, uh, dialogue in the elevator, actually, if you rush oh. in. Um, a, very, a, very similar, a very similar exchange takes place once you reach the elevators. Uh, Barrett, you know, apologizes um or more or less but you don't get to see them uh huffing and puffing up the stairs which is hilarious <laughs> which i love yeah so yeah and so yeah I, it's funny that you mentioned the technical element especially because in this shared party this su summon voltron sort of moment that we're sharing together uh that technology so frequently does get in our way for a limited time as well and it's it is funny that what seems to be the biggest problem with it is that it's inhibiting it inhibiting us from fun because i i think probably both of you have seen and probably vince more than any of us those videos on on youtube of kids freaking out when their video games are denied to them or something hell is yeah. wrong it's as if it's as if the justice of god is expected from uh from the not only the the in-game narrative perspective but uh also the the external hardware perspective this better work and if you know, my save file gets corrupt after this many hours, you know, yep. I mean, it's almost as if it's preparing you for why it's important to stabilize your society because you need to rely on so mm -hmm. many things to work all at once in order for you to have the fun experience that you better make sure that those factors remain. <laughs> uh, <laughs> order society around uh, proper hours of gaming. Well, 
Well, think about it. Yeah. How upset would you be after 30 hours of gameplay if your save file were corrupted? How, you know, and I just see that as a microcosm for a young person of the experience of like, say, 30 years of saving and then the banks collapse. Um, mm. Oh, yeah. In, in, in one, I mean, you can still eat. Uh, <laughs> uh, that, to give that's a- true. And, and yet, and yet how how deeply do these people freak out? Oh yeah. Even yeah. though if you were to put it on that scale, obviously not as big a deal. And yet I think it tells you something about the power of the narrative experience, just how willing we are to work to get it and how frustrated and, and upset we would be to a lose our progress, but B be denied the next step forward. Well, um, my perspective on that, if I can throw it in there, is yeah, that please. so coming from uh, being in one of those videos, you can probably find me on an old YouTube. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but also, be, being the gamer, you are in this, in especially this game, say not as far as in like Counter Strike or the games that evolved. After Counter Strike, you're in this godlike position. You have this absolute power over the game to an extent. Um, you even have you're the like ability. Socrates' name on. Well, I would. I wouldn't even use that. I would say that you're. You, you can even manipulate time in these games right. with the save system. You are completely outside of the laws of the game. Uh, so. You, you sort of develop this power complex where you you have this um, uh, you you don't encounter any other real true obstacles or competing powers but then uh oh uh oh mom comes in and she says <laughs> you need to go outside and you can't play your video <laughs> game anymore and all of a sudden you can't hit up down up down x y and defeat this boss so you have this idea this this um powerful ego that's developed in the context of this game suddenly be challenged when you cannot load your save point before your mom gets home or um actually combat it in any true fashion you are exposed to your ultimate weakness outside of the game um and that's sort of more of the escapist interpretation of gaming which there there's many reasons why people game but that's that's definitely mm-hmm. coming from a uh, perspective in interpreting it yeah what do you think about that wes it makes me think of jean piaget a little i might say something after you about that about what a game is supposed to be within the context of building a community of peers yeah yeah well i found here's one really interesting part of this chapter of the game that i I liked was um when you get to a certain point in the building uh you have the uh the sort of god's eye perspective which you take by crawling in through the uh, ventilation shaft of the toilet mm-hmm. and then watching the um, Shinra uh, board essentially have their, their final meeting uh, with the president <laughs> before he's impaled by Sephiroth. But so uh, you get to see them and listen to them and see how petty these <laughs> like movers and shakers of our society and politics and economics really are. Each of them is out for their own little their niche right and and you see that in the library too like each section of the library is demarcated from the others um 
And, and so there's this idea, yeah, like you're describing each person in the game sort of dramatizes it, that they have their power uh, over some little um, circumscribed area of life and they are out to maximize that at all costs. Whereas your vision, right, as the player um, and, and you're sort of seeing it through Cloud and Barrett and, and Tifa's perspective from there, um, yours is a much, is a much elevated perspective. Um, but the way that you see it, right, is through, is through this little breakdown mm -hmm, in the infrastructure mm -hmm. um, where, where, where the toilet ventilation shaft <laughs> leads straight to the boardroom. <laughs> yeah. The way down is the way up. It's fascinating. It's a fascinating little moment. Um, and you get to play that mini game in the library. You get to, um, you get to run into the head of security working out in the gym yeah. uh, and being like, you know, security is really important to me. Like I'm really taking this seriously while you're like running around stealing key cards from yeah. people and infiltrating. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. It's just great. I think, I think there's a lot more funny stuff in this game than I realized as a kid. Yeah. Uh, when you think about and it. I wanna, yeah. yeah but I want to pick that up because I agree a hundred percent with what both of you have said. And I mean, I think the fact that you as the hero embodying the logos put together the image of Mitgar as a mandala yourself, as if you are the one who completes the image of the self by embodying it through embodying logos. It just makes me think that when you mention the pettiness of Palmer and Heidegger and Scarlet all looking after their own interests, that that is sort of like being somebody within a game simply having regard for the game rather than the society in yes, which the game yes. takes place. And so the problem with like, say a petty scholar or politician or journalist simply focusing on one node or aspect of reality rather than the sort of net in which it finds itself, the Mardukian net, um, <laughs> is, that, is that rather than developing that logos perspective where you see how things work together and your place within it, thus giving your life meaning, you, you develop a loosened or abstract or absolutist perspective on your endeavor, which disconnects you from the goals of the whole. I mean, even in Shinra itself uh, has become disconnected from the goal of the maintaining the planet on which it lives <laughs> in order to maintain yeah. itself and showing that we can become so blind to that which uh, is most important to us or that which uh, we rely upon in order to live that we can actively work towards its destruction. Um, I think it's sort of a, I, I mean, just agreeing with you that it again is showing us that the ultimate capacity you can develop is the logos to be able to see yourself for who you are in the situation you're finding yourself and operate within that rather than to just pretend like the small world in which you've developed skill and a domain of competency is the only world because you are so afraid of the unknown space around you. I think also it's just remarkable to me that you get to a certain floor of the building and uh, you meet Hojo, yes. the scientist. With that brow. Right? The, the sort of the ultimate, the ultimate like Luciferian intellect, right? Yes. Uh, who, who's so confident in his own importance that he knows you won't kill him because he's the only one who can operate the delicate machinery, right? right. Uh, and then Barrett just like, launches a bunch of bullets into the uh into the specimen Fuck yeah. <laughs> go off king so it's like, yeah suck it hojo but so <laughs> and, and, uh and then they've got um they've got genova yes. in there in a little 
in a little chamber um, reminiscent of Akira uh, in his little uh, uh, holding tank thing. Um, and and they, they completely apparently leave out of their calculations the whole Sephiroth thing, right? So it's like for all that they have this master plan to to get Neo Midgar up and running in the promised land, they seem to have uh, uh, calculated without considering the ultimate living um, destructive <laughs> well, right? well, whose I... mother in a tank in their building. It's it's just it, insane. It's like the the the, the leaving out, right? Yes. The the narrow yeah. In the narrative though, and I might be misremembering because I'm like um 50 hours into the game now. Uh, <laughs> but do I I thought that they were still under the impression that uh Sephiroth had died. So I remember this from the booklet originally okay. because I would read about these characters because I wanted to know everything about them and especially Sephiroth. And I will definitely be talking about that and goals in life uh, <laughs> uh, next time when we get into Sephiroth's story. Um, yeah. But um, I believe he is listed as missing in action. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of Odyssean. It's unclear mm -hmm. what his fate has been, particularly because it's Tifa and Cloud alone who, who know, who know what his fate was. And we haven't and so, gotten a calm story yet. Right. And so, right. so the, the issue is that they have left out what was uncertain. They're like the suitors from the Odyssey. They assume that he's gone, but it, they're like the, uh, the, uh, the administration of Hogwarts, assuming that the Chamber of Secrets will not be open again. It's, it is an uncertain certainty that they have based their hopes on. Mm. And then just as the president stabbed uh, uh, Sephiroth in his back, as he might believe, thinking himself some sort of mutant, um, uh, uh, Sephiroth stabs him in the back as well. That, that which gave him power has now taken, every, taken his life or taken power from him. Hmm. Um, hmm. I'm going to want to compare that image to the yes, serpent when absolutely. we get to it. He, he really likes pegging. Uh, the two, the two of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the, the, uh, the things that they say about Sephiroth in this chapter are pretty limited. There's like little rumors and they're sort of comical actually because one of them, I think it's Eris, says, I've heard no one has ever seen him bleed or cry. Um, and I think, I think it's Tifa, I could be wrong, who says, I heard that he was um, posted somewhere far away and um like i thought he was like far away basically is what she says or it could be barrett i forget now this is when they're standing around after the president after you discover the president's body basically mm -hmm. so um were they were they talking about sephiroth so i had a question about that I, I i wanted some clarity so i'm glad you said that because i thought they would be talking about sephiroth but then i also sort of cognitively shifted my apparatus to maybe suggest that they were talking about rufus but, oh, mm, but yeah. it doesn't make as much sense that he would bleed um, so much as taught, but unless they were trying to build up an ethos of him being inhumanly cruel, which he'll soon show, uh, he'll disequilibrate the state even more, which is apparently his dad is a much better leader than he is because he attempts to control people by means of the media and their opinions, whereas Rufus just does not care at all. Yeah. Right. Um, which is just, a, yeah. yeah, go on, please. Oh, no, it's just, uh, 
Yeah, I, th I think Rufus's interruption into the plot here is almost as unexpected as Sephiroth. Yes, actually. Bang. There's sort of an interesting parallel going on there. Um, he's he's another alter ego for Cloud as well, right? Like he's the um, the son of the powerful dead father sort of thing. Yes, and they have a one-on-one -on -one combat in which Cloud cannot finish mm -hmm. him off. Yes, I yeah, I found this section highly symbolic that Sephiroth would would inject himself, interject himself into the plot directly. And that Palmer actually reports having seen his physical body as well. Right. It's, it, it almost takes on like in a, a post Christian negative version of the Jesus story. When he comes back and the apostles continually see him throughout. Yeah. And I want to go things. off on that. Yeah. I, I really want to go off on that uh, through this one <laughs> and this uh the the following episodes because one of one of my theses uh is that of the 900 of, of the 900 is that this actually inverts a lot of uh christian imagery and a lot of um typical tropes but especially in uh i guess Western, um, I'd say liberal democracy, but also the religious aspects of it. Um, and I don't know, can I just go off on my mandala? Uh, go yeah, it. go ahead. And the listeners should know that you do have a master's degree in East Asian studies, right? Or excuse me, ancient East Asian studies. Yeah, yeah, de when definitely it anything before, uh, after like 1400 uh, AD uh, in India, China, or Japan. I'm completely fucked on, but um, yeah, before that, you know, uh, I know, I know Sanskrit. Uh, so <clears throat> what, one thing that I, that we've been talking about a lot is that this is, this is some sort of mandala. Uh, Midgar, Midgar. And I, I'd say that it has the, Thesis number like 45. Uh, Midgar has the form of a of a mandala, but it does not actually have the content or the actual spiritual quality of a of a mandala. Now and a mandala is a magic circle. Yeah. And and so key key to this, um, I think one of the big arguments for it is what is this magic circle supposed to do? In my understanding of this magic circle, um, you have a figure in the center. Um, sometimes it's just an implied figure, but oftentimes you have like a bodhisattva in there. Um, it's like an embodied God, yeah. usually at the center. And we have that in, in a way in Midgar. We have at the very top, uh, Shinra, Mr. Shinra. Uh, and this within this circle, you have the center and the circumference. And within the, the in-between of the center and circumference, you have order. You have structure and you have also a protection from outside elements, oftentimes uh, shown as demons or serpents. And even thieves, we find out soon. Yeah, but if if we want to say that Midgar is 
a mandala um, created within the world that has the same qualities of this mandala, then we also need to reckon with the fact that this, this Midgardian mandala has the actual serpents and beasts within it. Yes. It does not protect those within it from the outside, the disorder. In fact, in our entire time within the, I guess, lower city, we see the absolute disorder, the, the past of the war and infrastructure that has just been allowed to rot and decay. Um, and that's part of this mandala aspect, but there's also I think a um, an almost demiurgic quality uh, to to get into maybe some like poor understanding of Gnosticism here, um, <clears throat> where you you have the mayor in the that that you meet, and we find out that he doesn't do anything. And he works in the corporate structure, in their corporate building. Yeah. <laughs> he literally works there. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing to remember is that Mr. Shinra isn't the president of Midgar. Mr. Shinra is the president of Shinra, a corporation. But... Power um, A power corporation. Yeah. So you have, one, this first demiurgic quality, uh, or maybe like a false god placed... <clears throat> to rule yes. over the city, and that's the mayor. And this is going to be broad strokes, but above that, then behind him, you have this, this ruler, this non-governmental ruler, this uh, corporate ruler, Mr. Shinra, who believes that he has structured the world and Midgar such that he is safe and Midgar can continue uh, its domination of the world without, say, Avalanche, without Sephiroth, without Wutai. Um, they and, can continue the same behavioral strategy that's worked in the yeah, past and that's, indefinitely into the future. That's supremely demiurgic in the sense that this Shinra has forgotten the, the source of kind of where Power he came from. Um, in, in this story, it would be the life stream, but in the Gnostic, one of the Gnostic traditions, it would be um, this this greater above God and this this Sophia, this wisdom that operates as a intermediary. But this demiurge, yeah. uh, this Shinra, is is the ruler of the physical world. But boom, in comes Sephiroth, and Sephiroth is this wisdom, perhaps, of this greater God, Genova which I think is pretty easily uh, understood as a stand-in uh, for, for Jehovah, um, the, the Tetragrammaton, a, a Christian god. Uh, that requires a head or a set of eyes. Yeah. Somebody to embody and focus it. And but just pause there, pause yeah, there, Vince, pause. because this is really good. I just want to hear what Wes has to say um, on this, because it sounds as if what you're suggesting is that this mandala is a corrupt mandala because the, the principle at the middle of it is power, which is 
which is doomed to corrupt itself. And that reminded me of what uh, Spider-Man. Uh, uh, no, that reminded me of what Wes was saying about the Luciferian aspect of this building. I mean, this is a very tall building we find ourselves in too. Very Tower of Babel-esque. Mm -hmm. Very much made by man with several people who speak to different interests or different languages within it. Um, and so, Wes, I'm just, what do you think about uh, the, the interpretation that uh, Vince is spinning out here? Um, yeah, I, I'm on board with it. I'm also not real versed in either Eastern stuff or uh, Gnosticism or, or any of that, but, but I'm sort of following. And what I thought about was uh, particularly the, the connection between Mayor Domino. Yeah, that's Domino. Uh, Dominus, uh, famed founder he, of the pizza chain. <laughs> he, uh, he describes himself as a um, as a librarian, essentially uh, cooking the books and keeping track of it um, for his corporate overlords. And he's got a pretty ironic approach to the whole thing. And it does seem right that Shinra loses perspective precisely because he's able to see that there's a a false demiurge below him but he mistakenly takes himself then as the real deal, mm -hmm. right? Because of that. Uh, between him and Domino. Whereas Domino being, uh, being below, can see that the real thing is definitely not Shinra, right? This is a, just a little house of cards they've got going on the scheme. And, and I really like the, um, the way that Jehovah, Genova, um, by this little one letter mistranslation or obfuscation or whatever's going on in wordplay, um, skirts being uh sacrilegious basically right and um <laughs> and so you can sort of you can sort of leave it up to the player to to bring in all kinds of just invite all kinds of religious and metaphysical speculations but essentially what you have is like i said i think like a pretty uh a pretty clear allusion also to uh the japanese um culture of of anime uh, going back to the the major work Akira, that's the one I'm familiar with because you you put us onto that one, Vince, saying uh, that there's some some things that this game takes from it, like like most uh, pop culture mm -hmm. does. And so you have this kind of um, biological god figure, mm -hmm. right? This uh, this freak of nature, this usus nature, which is also potentially the god, right? Uh, but again, that's sort of mm -hmm. like the question, right? Like where where is the ultimate reality grounded here? Do we have access to it? Is it going to destroy us? Um, or is it Ooh. something that we can uh, power? That's, a, that's excellent. That makes me think two major things. Uh, one being that Genova will later be described as a blight from the sky. And just two things about that, the moralistic language and the presence of nuclear weapons being used against them in the past, yeah. potentially due to their own immoral acts. Perhaps that's the Solzhenitsyn sort of self-reflective piece that's maybe coming through here. Um, I'm not sure, but something I would put forward as like a very weak hypothesis. Um, but also the fact that she's sort of a headless biological being that can have her power harnessed by an individual makes me think of her in conjunction with Vince's God-eye view. It's in, in a way, she could also be a representative of say the nervous system and the negative great mother that will destroy you if you act immorally as a people. Um, just, um, and that point I think is weaker than just saying that she, that 
since we have this God's eye perspective and Genova lacks a head, I feel like something is being said about how, uh, hmm, how, how to, put, how to put this, how, how the species human perceives itself through our individual lives. Um, well, here's the mini face God. here here's another thing that i thought was interesting um as well is that we're beginning to see sort of this deconstruction of of a center and i think this is what Mm. I, i i would argue um in that we were previously discussing about how the world sort of looks from the human perspective but now we're beginning to have many different perspective becoming aligned with this party with with clouds party the central human the person we are meant to identify with we have red 13 um actually nanaki who we find out later not a human yet um is of incredible importance to hojo's experiment and we find later to a greater um thread within this planet we also find out that this presumed human um, Eris is not a human in the conventional sense of Barrett, right. Cloud, um, Tifa. Um, she's an ancient. And then we mm. also have Sephiroth. Uh, we have a created being. And then we have Genova. Um, and on one, one case, you have an alignment of ideas despite coming from different i guess special backgrounds with uh with red 13 nanaki um cloud and eris but then you have the antagonistic the foreign um power of sephiroth and genova and aligned with that i'd also say um the shinra corporation and its you know lackeys Right. The anomaly that that inevitably transposes itself on stabilized order that cannot be dealt with simply by shows of power, but by the logos. And what you make me think is that this story isn't so much a story about even the world in which Final Fantasy VII exists, but a story about Midgar. Because Midgar now actually literally, if you think of the context of, say, the Buddha's garden or Eden, the well-watered place now has a, a giant sort of opening in, into it. Two openings. This Sector 7 is destroyed. And so the mandala no longer has, just as the center has just died, the president, though he's been replaced, so has the circumference also been compromised. Well, one thing I'd say on that is that the circumference um, was never completed. And if we look on what i don't know floor 64 or something we are given the option as you said to construct this mandala but we notice that still with that that there's a jagged edge and you know um uh a naive interpretation would be that oh this is sector seven but if we go back and we watch the cutscene, we see that the Mm. entire plate of sector seven has fallen not a jagged edge. And what that actually is, that jagged portion is actually sector six. 
Um, mm, so that's another thing. When we come into this game, this very mandala isn't even completed. It has a, um, and this could be a symbolic interpretation of its own inner corruption. And, and also that they're already moving on to the next city, right? Without having finished the first oh, one. As if the city yeah. itself was a representation duh. of a human, an imperfect human that is never complete, like an Ouroboros who never catches its tail. And so that though they're so close and they've made so much progress, now it's off to the promised land. Well, you even right? you, you even have that um, in the upper lower dichotomy. You have a part of the city that's integral to it. It seems um, that is nonetheless mm-hmm. forgotten and moved on for all resources to be focused on the upper. So it seems that it's it is a continuation of this. I don't know uh, practice that Sheenra yeah, Corporation is doing. Feet. They don't finish, and they also don't maintain. Right. Wes, what are you seeing here? Oh, I uh, I was thinking about how we we see the president um, visit a couple times. He visits the, uh, the reactor yes. as you're blowing it up, and then he visits, apparently it's him, uh, he visits down in the, uh, the honeybee mm-hmm. lounge. Mm-hmm. And so, so there is like a, there is a function for the, for the lower depths. Uh, it's just that, as you say, the resources are not being directed there. They're just being taken from there, right? This is sort of Barrett's whole beef about the, um, the oppression and the, uh, the destructiveness mm-hmm. of Shinra's approach. It's almost, um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. It's almost as if what it's trying to show us, even in these early stages, is that the ultimate perspective for a society which wishes to stabilize itself and maximize prosperity, which people in calm will tell us just how prosperous they are because of Shinra, even though monsters appear because of it, which I take as a metaphor for capitalism. Uh, Um, Like, duh. Right. But I mean, I mean, I mean, like, duh, in like a serious way, in order to exist... In order to have maximum prosperity, there also needs to be the potential to produce monsters. Mm. And so and so that's that's those are the two sides of the same coin, the order and chaos piece. The more order you lay you let in, the more potential there is for chaos, which I think is something we were talking about earlier when we say you say align your expectations with finishing this game and then thirty hours in, boom, corrupt save file, and then you're done. Yeah. Um but um oh man. And I, I better make sure not to lose this. Ah, yes. But the ultimate way to stabilize a society isn't just to get close to the finish, whatever that happens to be, idealize, and then exert power and move on to the next thing in order to sort of ignore the problems of the present or, uh, and then just repeat or reiterate the same process over again somewhere else. But to, like it says in the New Testament, wash the feet of the beggars, which is a metaphor for the top giving concern to the bottom of the society Mm -hmm. in order to minimize its violence, its poverty and and its capacity to destabilize the top because it is, you know, obviously the foundation of it, which is what a pyramid Mm -hmm. represents, of course. Um, uh, Yeah, then. Oh yeah. Um, uh, Christ. I I hope this isn't too tangent, too tangential, but um, I kind of want to circle back to the, um, I guess, no, is that a quad? Yeah, yeah, it, it's a quadpartite, I guess. Um, 
distinction of power within uh, Midgar. You have Domino, you have um, President Shinra, then you have Sephiroth and Genova. Um, mm-hmm. And we sort of stopped at... Um, and the hero, of course. And, and the hero, wow. which if we are going to take uh, any lessons from the episode of Adventure Time box prints, we know that the hero is actually outside of society. Uh, That's right. Because it can be embodied in any particular one. <laughs> uh, but we have, again, another inversion of Christianity, uh, where this messenger, uh, Sephiroth, uh, which I guess you could alternately equate with Sophia or um, Jesus, depending on if you're taking a Gnostic or a, um, I don't know, more or even exoteric <laughs> understanding of christianity um or even the kabbalistic sephirot tree oh yeah a symbol and, wisdom. and also um the the seraphim um one of the orders of angels um it, it's like all just thrown in there um and i'm not too sure with what order but you have an inversion of uh blessed are the poor you have an inversion of the beatitudes in sephiroth's claims he is not fit to inherit the world because of his meekness and his understanding and his walking with the lepers. He is fit to inherit the world because of his power, because he is the ultimate organism descended um, one, one in being with the ultimate organism, Genova. Uh, so he seems to make the error that he thinks the world exists for him when in reality he exists for the world or well i don't even know if sephiroth could exist for the world because he's he was created by something from something outside of the world for the purpose of this um i guess transnational global corporation um which finds itself at odds with the world itself so maybe the the buck is even further behind, but I don't know. Um, go ahead. <laughs> I thought I thought as you were saying the thing about monsters, and I think Sephiroth sort of fits that as sort of an, an absolute monster, an extreme version of that. Uh, I think about maybe trying to f- figure out Red Thirteen's introduction at this point in the story <laughs> as well. Uh, he, he seems to be aligned with Eris, oddly mm-hmm. enough, mm-hmm. Uh, because they're both these specimens that Hojo is very uh, proud of and is working on some sort of master plan to do with uh, resurrecting well, Genova. Well, seems. he wants them to fuck, and he wants to watch it, yeah. which is, like, yeah. whatever, Hojo. If you, want, yeah, if you spell it out. <laughs> All right, yeah, sure. So, so that's, that's his um, sort of introduction, then, is Red 13 is the spouse in that sense hmm. of of Eris and rapist um, he's yeah he's he's a uh, he's presented as a monster yeah. but then he immediately joins the party to fight against the uh, oh. the really nasty monsters I see. Um, and he, he's really mm-hmm. powerful uh, but um, but then even later you he, it's revealed that he can speak you know and he's like gentle and intelligent um, and so he's in a way more human and uh the people who've been trying to control him. Um, so we haven't heard Sephiroth mm-hmm. speak yet. Mm-hmm. He's not even been seen on screen yet. He's just this trail of blood yes. and the 
yes. of of the um, Genova chamber after he's been through it. I want uh, I want to ask about that trail of blood at some point. What was being dragged that entire time? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I I wonder to what extent Red Thirteen is sort of a racist or stereotyped embodiment of the spirit of the past. Obviously, a Native American figure, given that he comes from Cosmo Canyon and has feathers on his. Uh, on his uh, head and is also amongst the last of his kind mm -hmm. uh, with his father petrified in a proud position overlooking the canyon. He's obviously a Native American figure just as Barrett is a black figure. And so he alongside Ares, who is also an ancient and thus an embodiment of the feminine element of the spirit of the past, Hojo is trying to create a promised land in the future through blending together by means of the scientific rationality or logos a new spirit or tradition that will embody the golden age of the past in the present um but but his error sort of like uh president shinra's is he is attempting to exert force over nature rather than discovering the appropriate way in order to find and embody the promised land he is trying to force uh not only nature but also naturally conscious beings and, and an even more gruesome affront against uh, against innate morality. Uh, he is trying to bring about his he is trying to bring about the promised land through creating the ultimate negative situation of forced rape between conscious beings. It, 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 is, it is a pure disconnect between means and ends, it seems like. If you're going to bring about mm -hmm. the promised land and this is the means by which you do it, then it's probably a land of damnation. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful um, sort of microcosm of, of Shinra's, uh, you know, Mako reactors yes. sucking the, the light force out of the planet, right? It's like, yeah, it's like a, it's like a dramatization on a different plane of, of the same principle. Um, yeah, and the way that Red 13 reacts um, is not unlike the explosion of the reactors um, that Avalanche takes uh, responsibility for, right? It's like the, the, the thing that you thought was going to lead to uh, more power for yourself instead bites, bites the hand that feeds it, right? Yes. Like turns around and asserts its independence and you realize, well, hopefully you realize then um, that, it, it has a nature as well, right? And it's, mm. it's working out its own um, purposes, which are not the ones that you had imposed upon it. I like the analogy with uh, the Native American um, tradition or something like that and how it's being appropriated here. Um, and it's mostly so far, at least with the aesthetics. I, I agree. It's sort of like there's these aesthetic cues that are supposed to sort of put in in touch with certain stereotypes or traditional ideas about Native Americans. And his music goes with that too, mm -hmm. I think is the most telling thing for me. At least it's like very, yeah, stereotypically. Well, even his attack is a, is a representation of the cycle of the ages, right? He does several flips and then kicks you. <laughs> yeah, it's so, it's so beautiful to, uh, to see him um, his fluid his fluidity of movement is one of the coolest i think elements of the of the graphics so up to this point in the game um yeah he's awesome <laughs> love him and it's interesting too because i think what's represented here is that his appropriation is not a negative but rather an appropriately positive thing that adds to your perspective 
that once one acquires the uh, perspective of the past or the spirit of the past, that one becomes stronger and gains access to its wisdom, which yeah. strikes me as not a negative thing, but a positive thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I like how at this point you get certain materia that sort of go with this idea. He comes with an all paired with fire, and then he comes with a sense, which has a little more experience mm. on it than your sense does. Ah. Uh, you also pick up the enemy skill materia, which I think is really, really cool. It's like one of my favorite things about yeah. the game is that you wear the enemy skill. It doesn't change anything about your stats, so it leaves you like a powerful physical um, a tank. And if you get hit with the attack, then you learn the attack for certain enemy attacks, right? So the first one you can learn is just outside Midgar. You can get the uh, Mantra Magic, which is a bunch of little rockets that hit all the enemies. Cool. Uh, which is like pretty good at this point in the game to have because you can use it over and over. Yeah, it only has 8 MP, um, so it's a really good low-level spell to attack the entire yeah. enemy party. And it's a great way to XP farm. So, mm -hmm. so those three things you mentioned, Wes, fire all, the logos that moves throughout all cultures and is thus exists as guiding light or source of wisdom for all those who will come after, since, yeah. more developed. The more you add others' perspective to your own, the more you develop the capacity to sense what is going on. And then enemy mm -hmm. skill, the best way to destroy an enemy is not like President Shinra to try and kill them and ignore them even if they don't die, but to make them into your friends, to take them into yourself, to bring them into your known territory. Yeah. And you can only do that by suffering the attack. Yes. Oh, you have to understand and, and it. Tail, That's excellent. His tail is like a little um his tail's like a little candle. Yeah. You see this in the in the CGI at the end when you're getting on the motorcycle on the truck. Uh, his tail is like very, very uh, bright. The, the tip of it and, is like a little know, candle. Flame. I would say that's his ultimate tragedy because that references something across space and time. Charmander. Probably yeah, the, well, the absolute Charmander. Well, and probably <laughs> that they, they never read is from Dante. And there's this beautiful quote about Virgil that he, and this is what Statius, who was saved by means of Virgil's work, um, but Virgil was not what he says of Virgil who will return to hell to be damned. That he was like a guide who held, holds the candle behind himself and does much good mm. for those behind him, but none for himself. And I see that as Whoa. the guiding force of tradition. It no longer has the eyes to move forward, but it can guide our eyes towards where it is gotten. And then we have to do the rest ourselves. We have to now, be out in the world if we're going to if we're going to escape from the structures and the oppression of Midgar, we have to suffer the desert. We have to figure it out for ourselves and we have to have a direct confrontation with a serpent, which we are not yet strong enough to do. Uh speak for uh, yourself, uh, dude. I, I crushed that. <laughs> Did you get uh, Hell yeah, data from data. it as well? Yeah. <laughs> dude, that's such a dope our, attack. Our, yeah. All right, guys. Oh, yeah. All right. So um, how about, I mean, that is awesome. I'm well done. I, and I can't wait to see what Sephiroth did to that snake. And, and I can't wait to talk about the things that were said of him because those, those words have never left my mind after hearing them of the things that people say of Sephiroth and how they spoke about him. And I suppose that's also how people react to him in the game as well. 
But what are some closing thoughts? Was there maybe something we wanted to finish with mm. um, uh, as we continue to go up the stairs in the Shenro building mm. together? Um, so if you do take the stairs, um, somewhere along the line, you can pick up the elixir. Um, and it's, it's an item that is definitely worth getting. And it's an item also which is so good that I practically never use them. I just hoard them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, things like that. Things like that in the turbo ether that you get from the little kid if you don't steal his yeah, money. No time them. ever feels important sure. enough to use them. <laughs> exactly. There's an item also uh, in a locker in the locker room that you can't. Yeah, get that's yet. um. Because yeah, you look at I'll it. leave that. Yeah. <laughs> and you say it's a megaphone. Like who would ever use that? And so you leave it there. Um, it's so weird that there's these little these little things in Shinra building that you can't get yet. It reminds me of that one little room down in the slums um, near Don Corneo's where there's this thing that like shoots yeah. you if you try yes. to approach it. It's malfunctioning, right? So there's these little hints that you will need to come back yes. um, unless you just like refuse to let go of them and just like never proceed, right? You're trying to figure oh. out how to get them now. Right. Oh, so Wes, you are so smart. Well, that's, it's yeah, like, so you're so, sort of spinning out that this is where the traditional prodigal son narrative takes place from the RPG, that we're leaving the place where the action is, but that the action will remain to be done by us. Almost as if the mistake that we make as the hero and leaving the city is the same mistake that the president makes by wanting to leave the city and pursue the promised land and create near Neo Midgar as if, we try and avoid or go into strange lands to avoid the strange lands at home that Ben said are ever present. Ooh, I said um, that. Yeah. That's fucking smart. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I articulate what other people <laughs> say. Uh, I, I, yeah, well, you know, you got to wield the Masamune if you have it. And so, you know, so I think, well, that's a, that's probably a great jumping off point for us. This, uh, this week what's vince oh yeah 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 vince. uh yeah so my two things um another thesis uh thesis for 28 is um again i introduced this last last week um this idea of role versus essence which as i've been thinking more about this mm. is something that's actually played out through the entire i guess history of of final fantasy games um, so I guess what I want to introduce right now to sort of build on this is um, a thesis. Uh, Sephiroth has a very um, essential idea of who he is as determined, predetermined, and necessary to carry out um, at, at the, uh, I guess, risk of destroying the entire world. Uh, on the other side, you have roles, and this is our party. The roles that can be taken, um, while there are definitely, you know, uh, existing predispositions for magic users or sword users, such as Eris and Cloud, there's nonetheless the ability to change in order to suit the roles of the party. And this is, I'm not going to try and make a, a greater metaphysical claim about the nature of the world i'm going to just say or that the nature of humans yeah i'm just going to say that from this perspective of the game we're already 
uh, the game is already saying something about um, maybe this essential individual who I see as embodied in Sephiroth. And I'm saying that with a lot of loaded philosophical ideas behind it that I'll hopefully expound on later. And then yeah. ourselves, the player, um, the hero and the heroes who can fit other roles. What's this tension between them? And perhaps what's also the tension um, between maybe this commentary within the game of um, maybe Christianity and a um, non-Christian worldview. Well, it's interesting because you're also suggesting that there are many ways to be an individual in society and that you <laughs> have natural predispositions and that you can potentially offer your greatest value by following and enhancing those. But then when necessary, you can take on a different role in society when things happen. That's possible, too. I guess one um, thing, too, is that um, and I've noticed this in my own listening to people is that I guess. I'm using individual here more in like a Lockean sense, an individual in a state of nature without any, um, uh, I guess, responsibilities to him, to others around him, as opposed to say a biological individual, say the, the individual that can come together with others to mate, reproduce, um, uh, an individual that's very different from, say, how we're interacting um, right now is how I would characterize well, I, the Lockean. I, I, yeah, I suppose we'll have to explore what it is to be an individuum, to be an unbroken Whoa. thing. Even the, even the word itself seems to suggest part of a greater whole. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I think examining the interplay between society and the individual and one's effect on it and one's importance to it is precisely what we're doing here mm -hmm. uh, in our, through our individual efforts. <clears throat> so, uh, <laughs> Wes, what did we miss and what should we close on? Uh, I, I was just trying to think through the analogy Vince is laying out there. It's really interesting. The, um, the role and the essence, the Christian and the Eastern, whatever you want to call, uh, non-Christian, I guess. Uh, I was just thinking about that. Um, I think we pretty much talked through what I can remember being interesting about Shinra building. Uh, and obviously, we're going to eventually circle back around to it. So uh, if we did miss something, we can, we can get it then. Well, I look forward to returning to the Tower of Babel at the center of a mandala with you all soon. 70th floor. <laughs> yeah. Tight. Yeah. All right. See you guys soon. See you. This is excellent. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Happy Labor Day. Happy Labor Day. <laughs>